Hello, and welcome to Hanalyze This, the self-help podcast that just can't help itself. I'm one of two Hannahs, Hannah Hart, and today we will, be, we will, oh man, I sounded so professional and good sounding. Oh well, I'll just keep rolling with it. And today we will be doing things a little bit differently. You see, Hannah Gelb and I have decided that in light of current events and the sheer volume of information that we have been taking in, that each of us would focus on one avenue, one lane of exploration to share with you guys here today. Now, if this is your first time listening to Analyze This, what's up? If it's not, hello, earbuds. We love you very much, and we really, truly hope with all our hearts that you are, are open to learning, open to discussing, and can open yourself up to a future that we've never seen before. A future that will have fair treatment and true justice for all Americans. Enjoy! So let me set the stage a little bit here. It is week three of protests here in Los Angeles. Um, If you don't know, the protests are in regard to uh, the extreme extreme problem we have as a nation regarding our police force. Um, This problem shows itself most violently in videos of the unjust and brutal murders of countless black Americans. Most recently, and with the most national attention, we have Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and so many more. So... Let's talk about the police. The origins of the police, I didn't know. I have learned many things over the last three weeks. Um, And I'm really ashamed to say that I have used phrases like institutionalized racism without really understanding what that meant. I didn't realize that we actually, that it, Racism is institutionalized in our criminal justice system. So the 13th Amendment is where this all begins. And there's an incredible documentary called 13th. It's free on YouTube. Netflix posted it there for free. You can also watch it on Netflix. I beg you, I beg you to watch it because it does such a better job, obviously, of explaining this because they're experts and they've studied this this whole time. Um... It really does just a phenomenal job of explaining where we're at and what's going on um, and how we got here. And something I, I really also would love you to, to think is that this is not a problem without a solution. Isn't that amazing? The problem of race in America, the problem of police brutality, the problem of this system of oppression is not a problem without a solution. There have been studies and and data and research for years and years, and we have experts on this topic who have solutions to fix this, to make things better for all Americans. Isn't that wild? Isn't that just wild? Isn't that wild? It's wild. As I was saying, to begin understanding defunding the police, let's understand funding the police, okay? So here in Los Angeles, at $1.8 billion with a B dollars, the police budget is larger than the budgets for the fire department, 
the Office of Emergency Management, the Department of Transportation, the Bureau of Street Services, and all housing and community investment agencies, get this, combined. Okay? At $1.8 billion, the police budget is larger than the budget for fire, emergency, transportation, streets, education, housing, combined. It is the largest aspect of our budget here in Los Angeles. Really let that sink in. And when you hear of a police budget being so high, you think, oh my God, the crime rate in Los Angeles must be out of this world. Well, no, actually, crime has been steadily on the decline. Yeah, um, crime, you know, is not the problem, turns out. And as, as we explore this, this reality of the, of the need to defund the police, I would like you to carry in your mind this thought. Crime, as we think of it, somebody breaking your house, stealing a TV. Crime is an act of desperation. Somebody taking something because they need it. In this example, selling a television to have money to pay a phone bill. I don't know, you know? So, and I think it was a John Green video, actually, where crime is not evil presented itself to me for the first time. That crime is an act of desperation. It is not an act of evil. And you know what really blows my mind when you, when you put it in these terms is that there are so many evil people committing so much horror in this country. This, the white-collar crimes that, that, that our country is literally led by. And yet, none of those people are considered criminals compared to people acting out of desperation because their needs are unmet, period. So at $1.8 billion, the police budget is larger than the budget to fire, emergency prep, transportation, street services, housing, education, and community investment combined. So why do you think people are so desperate these days? So, you know... To move on to the next part of defunding the police, I'd like to talk a little bit about the origin of the police, okay? And um, this, is, this is kind of ironic, considering here we are talking about police brutality being such a problem, and, and we keep hearing all these arguments for reform, but if you actually go and explore it, and there's a great PDF that looks intimidating, it's, it's dense, but it's very easy to read, that very simply explains why reform does not work and has not been working, okay? And I'll try and sum it up here. Uh, reform only works if accountability works, but accountability isn't working, for instance, in terms of the LAPD, they are beholden to the DA. Well, the DA is uh, funded, you know, she won the election here by um, getting $2 million in support from law enforcement unions, okay? So the law enforcement unions pick their DA of choice, put him in place, and then the accountability is gone, right? Because the person in that elected position is not holding the police accountable. So no matter how much reform you do, there's a plan around it. The system of checks and balances is only works if there aren't corrupt people in those systems. So obviously, yes, elections will come and we'll vote people out. But at the same time, that doesn't really fill 
any idea of a need for a multi-billion dollar police budget when the city itself, the people, the occupants of the city are homeless, disadvantaged, uneducated, starving, and desperate. However, again, think about how desperate people are in L.A. And remember that I told you crime was actually dropping. So crime is dropping and the police budget is rising and all the other services are starving. Why is that the case? It's a case because, <laughs> well, when you understand where the police come from, you'll understand that. When the 13th Amendment came about, you know, I'm just going to read to you the 13th Amendment. Ready? Here's the 13th Amendment, everybody. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery except as punishment for crime. I'm having, I'm pausing here just because I'm getting that feeling I always get, which is shock at my own willful ignorance. It's so plain and simple. It's clear and it's right in front of our eyes. And the documentary 13th really lays it out. So again, watch the documentary. But I'm doing my best to try and sum this up. So basically, what the 13th Amendment says is that you can still have slaves. <clears throat> you can still have slaves as long as they are criminals. And the incarcerated labor force of America, meaning people who have been arrested and are put to do labor, is alive and well, and it is on the rise. I, I just... It's my own shock and horror. <clears throat> um, anyway, because of this, this is why I feel so strongly about the need to defund the police. Okay? Or even, dare I say, abolish the police. And I'm going to read to you guys from a source that really helped me understand it. And I'm just going to read the whole thing. And I hope that it helps resonate this message to you, with you, from me. Okay, so abolish the police, but how would we stay safe? Police abolition work is not about defunding every department instantly. It's about the gradual process of strategically reallocating resources and funding and responsibility away from police and towards community-based models of safety, support, and prevention. For instance, do you know how much better so many lives would be mine included, if when there was a domestic disturbance, experts came instead of police officers. Police, police officers who here in California uh, only have uh, 664 hours of training versus, you know, a cosmetologist who has 1,600 required hours of training. Yep, that's right. A cop has less than half the required amount of training that a cosmetologist does. So yeah, I think it would be a lot better if police weren't the only people, if these people who are drawn to force weren't the people that came into our homes as children during domestic disturbances. Think how much better it could be if we had actual experts, community experts involved. <clears throat> 
The people who respond to crisis in our community should be the people who are best equipped to deal with those crises. Rather than strangers armed with guns who very likely do not live in the neighborhoods they're patrolling, we, and this is reading again from the quote, we want to create space for more mental health service providers, social workers, survivor advocates, religious leaders, neighbors, and friends. All of the people who really make up the fabric of a community. But what about armed bank robbers, murderers, or supervillains? Well, again, this returns to the idea of crime being an act of desperation. So, crime isn't random. Most of the time, it happens when someone has been unable to meet their basic needs through any other means. Remember how much unemployment there is in America, everybody? People are losing jobs. People can't afford health insurance. People are living on the streets. And yet, the budget for the police keeps growing. So, to really quote-unquote fight crime, we don't need more cops. We need more jobs, more education, more arts, more community, more mental health resources, and more of a say in how our communities function. This is a quote from Dallas Police Chief David Brown. We're asking cops to do too much in this country. Every societal failure, we put it off on the cops to solve. Not enough mental health funding? Let the cops handle it. Here in Dallas, we got a loose dog problem. Let's have the cops chase down loose dogs. Schools fail? Let's put more cops in schools. Policing was never meant to solve all those problems. However, policing was meant to do one thing. Catch slaves. And it's doing a great job. Now, before I turn it over to Hannah Gelb, I want to present you with this last little thought. This last little brain nugget for you to chew on. If you are someone who, when you hear the reports from climate experts, believes and understands the realities of climate change, then when you hear the reports from racial experts, about the realities of being black in America. You should listen. Again, for as much as you put faith in the scientists and educators and all of the people who have spent their lifetimes studying climate change, there are those people that exist for this problem and they are telling us what to do. So why aren't we listening? Racism. I at the beginning of last week, fell prey to my own white arrogance of thinking, well, if the problem's still a problem, it's because there hasn't been a solution discovered. So let me think about it. Let me start thinking about it. And that was my own racial bias for automatically discounting the work and lifetimes of people who are dedicated to spreading information about this specific injustice that are dedicated, have dedicated their lives to researching this, to rooting out the systemic issues in our society today that lead to this. And there are solutions. We need to fundamentally reevaluate how we think of our civil services here in America. What we are doing is not working. And what we have been doing is doubling and tripling down on investment in the police as opposed to investing in our people. 
you know, it took me a long time to see that I, as a white American, from my own racial bias, have assumed that this problem was still going because there were no good solutions. There are solutions. There are solutions. And you, right now, you listening to this podcast, have the power to be a part of that. If you guys want details and accuracy, go watch 13th. It's free. It's online. 13th, the documentary. Or you can Google it. Police abolition is not new, but it is becoming increasingly necessary as our cities starve all other services to keep the police in power. Be well, everybody. I'm going to kick it over to Hannah Gelb. Thank you for listening. We're not going to do any ads here, or maybe we should. Would ads be a nice little break? You can fast forward through them. Let's do some ads. So here we go. Hello, hello everyone. Hi, earbuds. This is Hannah Gelb. Um, and this week on Hanalyze This, um, Hannah Hart and I wanted to share what we are reading and learning about in an effort to uh, be allies for people of color and especially black people in the wake of the murder of George Floyd at the hands of the police. Um, if you're like me, you probably are a little overwhelmed by the news, social media, information. Um, and if you're also a privileged white person like me, you probably um, have not been that active in um, federal or local government. Um, but if that's the case, uh, I would say, you know, start anywhere. It's not too late. Um, start anywhere and see where it leads. Um, being an ally is a practice. It's not some uh, characteristic you have or don't have. It's just like any other thing that we talk about on this mental health podcast. So uh, what do I want to talk about? I want to talk about um, qualified immunity um, uh, because I just learned what it is and it has come up in the news this week. So... I want to um, read some information um, that I got from an article um, on The Appeal, written by Emily Clark and Amir HLE. So here are the details of a case where qualified immunity came up. On the morning of November 23, 2004, Malika Brooks was driving her 11-year-old son to school when Seattle police pulled her over for speeding. The police wanted her to exit the car, but Brooks didn't think she had done anything wrong and she didn't want to. Um, she told the officers that she was seven months pregnant. However, she was still dragged from her car, tased three times, had her arm twisted behind her back, and was put face down in the street to be cuffed. So Brooks sued the police officers to hold them accountable for their conduct. Six federal judges agreed that the officers' use of severe force, especially absent of any threat to their safety, violated the U.S. Constitution, but the same judges dismissed the case, relying on a legal doctrine called qualified immunity. 
So what is qualified immunity? Um, I got this info from a blog called Lawfare, and it was written by Nathaniel uh, Sobel. Um, Qualified immunity is a judicially created doctrine that shields government officials from being held personally liable for constitutional violations, like the right to be free from excessive police force for money damages under federal law so long as the officials did not violate clearly established law. So what does this mean? Um, It makes it very difficult for police to be held accountable for their actions and I want to point out that this is just concerning money damages when citizens sue police officers. So it's not talking about changing police behavior or their behavior being discussed by their supervisors or their uh, suitability for their job in law enforcement being questioned. It's just, do they have to pay these people (laughs) for violating their constitutional rights? I suppose if you had to pay people a lot of money every time you violated their rights, you probably would do it less. But uh, I just think that's an interesting point, especially because part of the reason that qualified immunity was established was was to protect officers from frivolous lawsuits. However, it's really turned into this kind of get out of jail free card. Haha. And in many cases for years where police have violated constitutional rights of citizens, qualified immunity has been invoked, I guess you would say. Um, And one of the really frustrating things about it is as long as there is no existing case with a clearly established law, police can just say, I was not aware that I was violating any constitutional rights. For example, in a different case, a SWAT team fired tear gas grenades into a plaintiff's home, causing extensive damage. And while a three-judge panel assumed that the SWAT officers had in fact violated the plaintiff's Fourth Amendment rights, it nonetheless granted qualified immunity to the officers because it determined that the precedents the plaintiff relied on did not clearly establish a violation at the appropriate level of specificity. So basically, let's say Sailor Moon comes down and is at a protest and police throw rocks in her face. If there hasn't been an extremely similar case that has already gone to court where it was ruled that that is not okay, a police officer can say, I I wasn't aware I wasn't supposed to do that. It's kind of missing the forest for the trees. So what can be done about this? In the light of uh, everything that has happened over the past couple of weeks, Supreme Court Justices Thomas Clarence and, oh, sorry, Clarence Thomas and Nancy Sotomayor, <laughs> Sonia Sotomayor, I know who the Supreme Court Justices are, let me tell you. Um, they have called for a reexamination of the Qualified Immunity Doctrine. There are currently eight Qualified Immunity cases now pending before the Supreme Court the Supreme Court, to be discussed next term. Um, However, next term means next year. Luckily, we don't just have to rely on the Supreme Court to um, change qualified immunity. Just this week, um, Senators Cory Booker and Kamala Harris have introduced the Justice in Policing Act of 2020. So you can read the 
bill itself. It's um, 134 pages, but it makes some pretty bold uh, claims, such as it will prohibit federal, state, and local law enforcement from racial, religious, and discriminatory discriminatory profiling establishes a national police misconduct registry to prevent problematic officers who are fired or leave on agency from moving to another jurisdiction without any accountability, which makes me believe that up until now, that's just what police officers have been doing. So this seems pretty great. I will say I know uh, people who are looking to abolish the police are not that excited about it because it is similar to uh, measures that have been that have gone through Congress in the past and have not been that effective. So let's all pay attention and see what happens. I hope this has been helpful or useful at all and not just uh, terribly confusing and misleading. I would like to say thank you so much for listening, earbuds, and for hanging with Hannah and I um, these past couple weeks. If there's something you're learning about or want to discuss or have a question about, or if you just want to say, Hannah Gelb, everything you said was wrong and stupid, please go ahead. You can do that. Um, I want to... Ugh, words fail me at this time of day. I want to... Um, Learning about these things, reading about them, um, hopefully acting on them is not a magical solution to all of the horrible violence against black people in the uh, spanning history of the United States. And we are aware that we have inherited that legacy. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, Hannah Hart and I doing this is not like a little magical eraser for being uh, passive um, participants in white supremacy. Um, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> happy Thursday. Um, much love to you all, earbuds. I hope you are safe and well and your families are safe and well and you are staying that way. Um, I will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Well, thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And I know Hannah does too. Thank you for your support. Thank you to our patrons. And thank you for making it through this episode. There's so much to learn. I recommend picking one lane at a time. And I recommend following the lead of people who have spent their lifetimes dedicated to the subject. So again, in the same way you would trust a climate scientist, you know, there's so many resources out there. I, I barely know where to begin. I guess I would just say that the number one thing you need to do is watch the documentary 13th. The documentary 13th lays it out in a way that really shows us how solvable of a problem this is. Okay. Love you guys very, very much. And uh, we've got a couple fun episodes coming up. We have one with Elliot Morgan, which uh, we can post, but I would also like to keep on this topic. Let us know what you think. We love you. Hearts and minds all together. Please go watch 13th. Please, please, please become a part of this movement. There's only two groups of people now, racists and people who are actively trying to stop the continued poison of racism in America. Thank you.